You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to church, y'all. Yay! This is so exciting. As Pastor Morgan mentioned, my name is Tina Miranda. I'm one of the deacons here. And I am beyond thrilled, beyond thrilled to be here in the house of the Lord this morning and to get to talk to you, as he mentioned, about how we connect our hearts, our feelings, and our emotions to God as we pray for our city. And to do this this morning, we're going to look at Psalms 122. We're going to start in verse 1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Amen. Psalms 122 is written by David about the city of Jerusalem. And I think that you can see just from listening to the psalm and you can almost feel his affection that he has for that city, the city that he conquered and that he made Israel's capital. And as we work our way through that psalm, and we're going to pretty much go verse by verse through that, we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at a place of opportunity, a heart for people, And finally, a prayer for peace. But before we start digging into that psalm, I want to tell you a story. This is a story about how a girl meets city. This girl grew up in a small town, population around 3,000, in upstate New York. Her name was Tina. And because Tina has not yet achieved the level of significance that allows her to continue to refer to herself in the third person, let me just say that I didn't actually grow up in the town. I actually grew up outside of the town in something we refer to as the country. And not only did I grow up outside of the town in a country, I grew up on a farm, a dairy farm. Yes, I have milked cows, driven tractors, put in hay, and many, many other miscellaneous farm chores. And when it came time for me to choose a college, I was actually considering several small liberal arts schools close to home. But then one day, late in the application process, I get this brochure in the mail from a small liberal arts college in Austin, Texas, named St. Edwards University. And I was intrigued, so I applied. And in doing so, completely freaked out my parents. My mom was worried because I knew not a single soul in the entire state of Texas. My dad didn't understand why I would consider a college. I had no idea how I was going to pay for when I'd received several scholarship offers from other schools. So one night, shortly after I received my acceptance letter from St. Ed's, 
I prayed. And I prayed a very specific prayer, asking God for a very specific sign to show me where I was supposed to go to school and specifically, was I supposed to go in Texas? Now, I understand that laying out a fleece isn't the best way to always pray, but God met this 18-year-old senior where she was at. And because I'm here right now with you this morning, I'm guessing you figured out how he answered that prayer. And so in August of 1991, I hopped on a plane for the first time ever with my dad and two suitcases, and I headed to Austin, Texas. And for my mom's sake, God was faithful and saw to it that I was adopted from the moment I landed here in Austin by an amazing family from Austin First Church of the Nazarene. Almost 30 years later, they're still my family. So I have to say a huge thank you to Doc and Pat Ritter and the rest of the Ritter clan for welcoming me into their family and making Austin feel like my home. And I share that story with you because I know that I know that I know that I know that it is not an accident, it's not a coincidence, it's not a random occurrence that I find myself here in Austin, Texas. And I'm doubly convinced of this because I actually tried to break up with Austin after, graduate, or after undergrad when I went to law school. I was bound and determined to leave Texas to go somewhere else and I was supposed to attend law school in Chapel Hill in North Carolina. But God wasn't having any of that. I was literally a week away, y'all. I had an apartment leased. I had my boxes packed. And the law firm where I was working part-time as a messenger offered me a full-time job for a year. And for a lot of reasons, it was a fantastic opportunity. And so I jumped on it. And you know, God can do a lot in a year, like raise up a very persistent attorney who was bound and determined to get me to apply and go to UT because he thought it was a better school and it was less expensive for someone who was a Texas resident. So as hard as I tried to leave Austin, I didn't. I stayed here. And while I was in Austin and while I was at law school, my second year, I clerked at the Travis County District Attorney's Office. My third year, I moved over to the Texas Attorney General's Office. And after graduating, I accepted a permanent position at the AG's office in the Criminal Appeals Division. And then after working there about three years, I walked outside of my office and there was a cubicle there. And in this cubicle was this tall, dark, and handsome young man who had just started working there. And one day, a few months later, he came into my office and he noticed my St. Ed's diploma. And he's like, oh, you went there too? He had gone there too. And guess what? Three years later, we were married. Two years after that, we had children. Both of my children were born here. And they've been raised here. It's not an accident that me and my family live in Austin, Texas. And I hope that by telling you that story, it's causing you to start thinking about your story, how it is that you got here in Austin or Cedar Park or Leander or Round Rock, or for those of you that are watching online, where however you got to the city where you're living right? Because that connection is so important. And regardless of whether Austin or wherever you live is your forever city or whether you're passing through, we need to see that we're here now in this moment, in this place. And I'm praying for us as we begin this morning that God moves our hearts for the cities that we're in and that we would see the city as a place of opportunity, that we would cultivate a heart for its people, and finally, that we would pray a prayer for its peace. 
So let's begin. A place of opportunity. So historically in America, and not just America, really all over the world, people lived rurally on farms and ranches or the equivalent of whatever that was. In fact, in the late 1700s, you know, 90% of people in America lived on a farm or on a ranch. But then the Industrial Revolution came in the late 19th century, early 20th century, and the population in American cities exploded. And today, nearly 80% of people live in what are characterized as urban areas. Only 2%, of which I was fortunate, live on farms or ranches, right? But the interesting thing is there was a Washington Post article that said that that is actually not, even though 80% of people live in urban areas, that is not where Americans would choose to live if they could. It's not their first choice. So why do so many of us live here in cities? Because cities are a place of opportunity. They often provide better access to jobs, careers, education, culture, healthcare. And if you're raising a family, they often have more options for childcare. Or in our culture, if you've got kids involved in extracurricular, whether it's sports or fine arts, there's more opportunities there. There's more resources available for children who have disabilities. For me personally, Austin was a place where I got my undergraduate degree, I studied law, I pursued a career, and I began a family. But those aren't the only opportunities that cities afford us. And if we look at what David wrote in Psalm 122, we see that there's a lot of opportunities of a different sort. There are kingdom opportunities. There are opportunities not just to be blessed by the city, but for us to actually bless the city, to serve and love and honor others as Christ has done. So we're gonna look at three of those really quickly. And we're gonna start off in verse one and two, where David says this, he said, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Later in verse four, speaking about the holy city, he says this, this is where the tribes of the Lord go up to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. David saw Jerusalem as a place to worship, an opportunity not just to worship God individually on our own, but collectively and corporately, right? A place for people all over Israel could come together, could journey in order to draw nearer to the presence of the Lord because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the Ark was brought when David conquered Jerusalem and made it the capital. That's where David envisioned that his son Solomon would one day build the temple and host God's presence among his people. Now, obviously, we don't need a city to worship. We can worship God anywhere, anytime, no matter how remote, but what an opportunity the city provides us to come together corporately, collectively, to raise hearts and hands and voices, to honor God and service in a way that crosses denominational boundaries and cultural boundaries and to more fully experience the body of Christ. You know, in fact, the first thing I ever did in Austin, Texas was go to church. So remember how I told you that my dad and I got on a plane? Well, guess what? We got on a plane on a Wednesday. And by the time we got into office, it was Wednesday evening. And you know, the way that I grew up, the what we did on Wednesday evenings was go to church, right? And so the associate pastor of First Church of the Nazarene picked us up from the airport and drove us straight to church, 
right? Amen. All right. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The city is an opportunity for us to worship. It's also an opportunity for community. And we see this in verse three. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. It seems rather obvious that community is a natural result of bringing a lot of people closely compacted together. But those words here actually signify something more than merely sharing space or proximity. In fact, there's another translation that uses the words bound firmly together. And so what it conjures up here is what one commentator referred to as an emblem of mutual harmony or unity. So the picture that's being painted for us here in Psalm 122 is of a people knit together, working as one in a society of friendship, affection, and purpose. And this in and of itself is amazing, right? What a vision for the city of people coming together. But then you look at verse four and it becomes exponentially so. And we looked at verse four before, but we're gonna look at it again. And it says there, Jerusalem, there's where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given in Israel. I wanna focus for a second on that first part. All 12 tribes of Israel were a single nation and one ethnicity, but they were nevertheless divided and separated in other ways, by their family, by their heritage. And if you recall from Joshua, when they came into the promised land, they were divided geographically, right? They were all given a portion of their land. And it's interesting because Jerusalem was actually still a city that was held by the Jebusites. It didn't belong to the Israelites until David conquered it. And so when he conquered it, and it was over, if you're interested, it's over in 2 Samuel chapter 5, he'd been ruling Israel from Hebron and he moved the capital to Jerusalem and it was a city that belonged to no tribe so that it could belong to every tribe. And what I hope we see this morning is that the unity that we seek that's so important in community does not have to mean uniformity. And the diversity that we see does not have to be division. The Trinity is our best example of this. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are one, but they are not the same. And though they are diverse and different, they are not divided. Cities, especially large cities, bring together people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And this is one of the most beautiful things of a city to me. Because I grew up in a small town on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And one of the things that we did not have was diversity. There was just a lot of sameness. So coming to Austin and to a university that valued diversity and a global perspective gave me the opportunity to do life with people who were different, who didn't look like me, who didn't think like me. And I got to experience new cultures and it forced me to re-examine perspectives and beliefs that I'd held and accepted and never had to question. And I'll never forget one day, early in my sophomore year, sitting in a class with someone who would become one of my closest friends. And in this particular class, we had a, a guest speaker. It was one of my criminal justice classes. It was a person who had previously been convicted of um, and sent to prison for dealing drugs. And this person bravely volunteered to come to our class. There was a little bit of a talk and a question and answer session afterwards. And during the question and answer session, the class became very frustrated and confused because they could not get this individual to promise 
right? That despite having gone to prison for dealing drugs, that he would never do it again. He didn't want to do it again. He hoped he would never do it again, but he couldn't promise because he would do whatever he had to do to support his family. And even though I sort of sat in the back, that's kind of my favorite spot to sit, and I didn't really participate, I felt their confusion and their frustration, and I didn't understand. And it never occurred to me that someone else could hear and listen to that same conversation and be frustrated and confused for an entirely different reason. And that was my friend. And as we walked out of class that day, and as we had a conversation in that class, and we had more conversations later, I saw things from a different perspective, from the perspective of someone who didn't grow up the way that I did, who grew up with a very different and a more difficult background. And he made me question things, and it completely changed the way that I thought and that I lived. And you know what? That wasn't because of something that I learned in class. It was because of a relationship that was being built that made me question things. And relationships are the building blocks. They are the foundation for community. It's not hard to love people and be united in purpose with people who look like us and think like us and act like us. It is a whole lot harder to do that with people who are different and who challenge us, who challenge our perspective, who question our beliefs, that is uncomfortable. And it takes work, a lot of work. But for those of us who are willing to try, and let me be clear this morning, as Christians, we are compelled by Christ to try. The city is brimming to overflowing with diversity and opportunities for us to walk out this part of our faith. And if we can do that, and if we can pursue that community, we're not going to be able to help but to see a third opportunity that the city affords. And that's the opportunity to seek justice. Let's look at verse five. There in Jerusalem stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Jerusalem was the government seat of Israel. David ruled from Jerusalem for 33 of his 40 years. It was where the main courts for judgment were established. It is where he administered judgment and justice for his people. We're told over in 2 Samuel 8, 15. So David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity to all his people. The Bible tells us that justice is one of the foundational tenets for God's throne. Righteousness and justice are its foundations. And we are directed over and over and over again in scripture to seek justice, most especially for those who cannot seek it for themselves. And cities provide so many avenues for us to pursue this kingdom purpose. Austin in particular, it's the government seat for the state of Texas. The governor lives here. The legislature sits here in session. The Texas Supreme Court is here. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which is the Supreme Court for criminal cases, they both convene here. There's a myriad of other state offices and agencies, including the Texas Attorney General's office where I worked for 16 years. In addition to state government, you actually have county government and municipal government. You have county courts, you have municipal courts. And because of the proximity of so many government offices, you also have any number of nonprofit organizations throughout the city that exist and strive to serve people and to seek justice on their behalf. 
As a society, we spend a considerable amount of time and energy consumed with national politics, right? And I think that's great. I wholeheartedly believe that we should be conscientious and informed and we should be active, but I also believe that it's really easy to miss the opportunity that's right in front of us to affect lasting change. In fact, if you talk to people about how to make a change, right, what's the most effective way for me to have a direct impact, they will tell you it's on the local level. And here in Austin especially, the civic opportunities the city affords us that we have available to us are innumerable. In fact, we have one you saw on Mosaic in a minute, the opportunity to do a prayer walk around our capital. We have that opportunity because of the city that we're in. But even aside from the more formal aspect of the administration of law, cities provide another opportunity for us to seek justice. In sharing my story, I'm very aware of the fact that it is a privileged story and how I came to meet Austin. And I also recognize that this is not everyone's story and not everyone experiences the city in which they live from that same perspective. Because for all the good that cities give us, the opposite is also true. There's greed and oppression. There's crime. There's poverty, right? These all exist and our city. And you know what? God's heart, David's heart for Jerusalem, God's heart for the cities, is that, we, that a city would be a place where people would be living closely compacted together, firmly bound up in community with each other, and that they would see and they would seek justice for the sake of others. Because all of those things, greed and oppression and poverty, right, and corruption and crime, what happens as a result of those injustice? And our cities are full of them and it provides us an opportunity for us to minister and seek a kingdom purpose. And my question for us this morning is do we see as David did? Do we have a heart that David did for the city, right? And I'm gonna tell you that I'm preaching to myself this morning when I say that, that to see that vision that David saw, to have the heart that God wants us to have for the cities, we don't get there accidentally, we don't just fall into that, right? It's something that has to be intentionally cultivated. And that brings me to my second point, number two, and that is a heart for the people. Jesus could not have been more explicit in his commandment to us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And I know we all do the best that we can to keep both of those, to love God and to love others. But I wonder if we realize what happens really unintentionally and unknowingly in our hearts as, our, as we get away from that inner circle, as we move out from our family to our neighborhood, to our city, to our nation, and then to the world. And God used a, a lecture recently that I was giving to my criminal law students at St. Ed's, and um, I'm literally in the middle of teaching this, and God's like, hmm, that's what he says to me a lot. He just said, hmm, 
right? Like you might, you might want to think about what you're saying here. And so I'm teaching on the four elements, the four required elements for a criminal offense, which is in case you're curious, you need an actus reus, a mens rea, causation, and concurrence. Um, what, that means, <laughs> what that means is you need a criminal act, you need a criminal mind, and then some other stuff. And that particular day, we were talking about the actus reus, which is the criminal act, and we were looking at the question of whether an individual can be held criminally liable and responsible, not for something they did, but for something they did not do, something that we call an omission, right? A negative act or a failure to act. And we were discussing something called the bystander effect, which goes something like this. The bystander effect occurs when the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency situation against a bully or during an assault or other crime. The greater the number of bystanders, the less likely it is for any one of them to provide help to a person in distress. People are more likely to take action in a crisis when there are few or no other witnesses present. The reality is, it's not hard for us to feel personally responsible for our family or maybe even our neighborhoods are beyond that. But the further out we get, the less personal it becomes and the less likely we are going to be to feel responsibility for the plight of others. And the more people that we are surrounded by, the more likely we are to assume that someone else will do it, that it's someone else's problem. And isn't that where we are in a city is surrounded by a lot of people. And for purposes of this message today, the lack of a personal connection does not just affect what we do. It can affect how we pray, right? If our hearts are not connected to the city, if it's not connected to the people, then we're going to pray a different way. It's not that we don't pray. It's not we don't see the need, but what we can tend to do is we can tend to pray from over here, right? We can tend to separate ourselves and not see them as our personal responsibility. And so from this detached perspective, our prayers tend to sound something like, Lord, please help them. Be with them, Lord. Meet their needs, Lord, right? Because our hearts are not connected to those people. Their problems aren't our problems. They're their problems. We're over here. They're over there. And if we're not careful, we start to attach reasons to why we're over here and they're over there. And the reason often looks like because we're over here with Jesus and Jesus is, is not over there and Jesus be over there with them, right? Because they so obviously need Jesus. And down that slippery slope, we slide until what we once saw as a genuine need right, that required justice and that called out for justice is now clearly a deficiency in someone else and someone else's problem that we blame others for. And suddenly we sound like the Pharisees in the parable that Jesus told in Luke 18. For the benefit of those, and this is a direct Bible quote, who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. When the Pharisee prayed, it says he stood by himself, he stood separate. He stood apart. And he said, God, I thank you that I am not like the others. I'm not like the robbers and the evildoers and the adulterers or even like this tax collector. 
This is not who we are. This is not what we want to be. This is not our intention to pray like this. So what is it that we need to keep us from going down this very slippery slope? We need what the tax collector recognized that he need, and that is we're the ones who need Jesus. You know what? Because never was there anyone who had more right to separate himself than Jesus, right? If there was any, ever anyone who was separate and apart, it was him. He didn't make the mess we made. It wasn't his fault, right, that we sinned, that we fell, that we totally made the giantest mess of the life that he breathed into us. And yet, y'all, and yet our whole entire faith, the thing that brings us into the building this morning is the belief in a God who became man, who humbled himself and became a part of our mess, right? He dwelt among us. He engaged with us. He loved us. And as overwhelming as our needs must have seemed to him, he ministered to us. And he met those needs. But you know what? He did more than that. You want to know how entangled he got into our mess? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And it says, For our, made, our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Can we just sit there for a minute? Christ, who knew no sin, became our sin. Why? To rectify the injustice that we created with our sin so that the righteousness requirement of the law could be fully met in us. So that we, who were at fault, could be justified before God. Our sin wasn't his problem, it was ours. But he made it his. And he carried it on his back. And he separated himself from the Father and became like us for our sake to bring us back to himself. Y'all, we need Jesus. We need his example. We need his forgiveness. We need the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, compelling us to make every effort to do for others what he did for us, to entangle our hearts with others, with the people that we live with, to make the city's plight our own, to make the city's struggles our struggles, to identify with the city and its people as an us and a we, not an us and a them. You know what? Because when we do this, y'all, when we do this, then and only then can we pray with all sincerity for our city, like David prayed when he, as he did in verse six and seven. And he said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within her walls and security within her citadels. Peace, peace. It is a word that implies security, tranquility, quietness and rest, but also completeness and soundness. David's heart for Jerusalem and God's heart for our cities is that there would be peace and security within her borders, that the people who live here would feel safe and secure. And so we pray for peace because a prayer for peace is a prayer for justice because there can be no peace 
where there is no justice. And a prayer for justice is a prayer for community because without a sense of community that binds us firmly together, we aren't gonna see and seek justice for others' sake. And a prayer for community is a prayer for worship because I'm gonna tell you it is impossible to worship our God and to get in his presence and not have a heart to love and honor and serve other people because that's where his heart is. And then we can also say, like David said in verses eight and nine, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek its prosperity. I wanna close with this thought, something from Charles Spurgeon that he wrote in writing about Psalms 122. And when I read this quote, I want you to think in your mind about the city where you live, the city where God has in this moment placed you. Here's what he said. We are to live for God's cause. We are to be ready to die for it. First, we love it. And then we labor for it. And as in this passage, we see it's good and then we seek it's good. And if we can do nothing else, we intercede for it. Amen? Let us pray. God, thank you so much. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for entangling yourself in our mess. God, thank you for coming and being a part of who we are. And God, I pray this morning, this moment, Lord, that you would help us to be entangled with our city, for our hearts to be with them, for it to be a we, for it to be an us, God, for their struggles to be our struggles, God, that may we be united and closely compacted and firmly bound together for your sake, to seek justice, to serve your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.